This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. They sold slaves here and everywhere. I've seen droves of Negroes brought in here on foot going south to be sold. Each one of them had an old tow sack on his back with everything he's got in it. Over the hills, they came in lines reaching as far as the eye can see. They walked in double lines, chained together by twos. They walked them here to the railroad and shipped them south like cattle. Lorenzo Ivey said to this, truly, son, the half has never been told. I'm going to be breaking down this book, The Half Has Never Been Told, Slavery and the Making of American Capitalism by Edward E. Baptist over the next several podcasts. And I don't know if they're going to be successive podcasts because... I don't know, you know, because there are other things that I might want to talk about during the course of the next several weeks. But what I do know is that I have more than 100 dog-eared pages with notes attached to them that I'm going to be breaking down. And before I get to that, though, because the next thing I want to talk about is how this system even started, this financial system. That's my next bookmark. It's in the chapters that, uh, chapter one called Feet. And in this chapter, Edward Baptist has everything broken down into even a chart about each state, each of the 13 uh, colonies and how uh, they benefited and how many um, enslaved people they had. And um, Edward Baptist writes about the, the walking across the continent with dust cake mats and growing dreads and men's heads and hair stood out um, he talks about thousands and thousands of yards and miles that were traversed. He talks about the slave coffles in this chapter, um, horrific, 12-year-olds, young kids. Um, and, and if we think about the slave trade, they were mostly young people. They didn't bring old folk over on those holes of ships. We're talking about the most vibrant, young um, potential. We're talking about 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 16, 18-year-olds. We're talking about teenagers snatched from their homes. We're not talking about old people. People don't even think about that, right? They had to be good for breeding and good for working. You're not going to put a 40, 50-year-old on a slave ship for six to eight months. You're not going to do that. It's a waste of time and money and energy. Um, but he talks about the 1,760 yards in a mile and the 2,000 steps because this chapter is about the feet. So it's really devoted to that. But before I get into this, and I'm going to break this down probably in another podcast, I said to myself, well, who, who commissioned this? You know, um, in this chapter, in this chapter, he talks about the money, right? And um, he said that at this time, there was no stable currency. The federal government, as it was, had no ability to tax so it could not act as a national state. He talks about the arrival in 1619 of those 20 some odd Negroes in the hold of a ship that started the slavery in this country. And he talked about the Revolutionary War, 1775. And he said that slavery had been one of the engines of the colonial economic growth. The number of Africans brought to Maryland and Virginia before the late 1660s was just a trickle, perhaps a few dozen per year. But along with white indentured servants, their enslaved Africans built a massive tobacco production complex along the Chesapeake Bay. Over those formative 50 years, settlers imported concepts of racialized slavery from other colonies, such as the Caribbean. So those of you who come from the Caribbean islands, they studied you. They studied how slavery um, bore out. They watched the Spaniards with their miscegenation 
as a way of domination and as a way of rule. Shout out to the Dominican Republicans, those Dominicans who don't consider themselves black. Stop it. They t in, in, in this book, he talks about how those framers of this constitution, how those founding fathers of this country studied the failings of places like Hispaniola, where Dominican Republic existed, split in half by the Spain, Spaniards and the French, and watched with horror as plantations with two to 300 slave, enslaved people on it per one or two overseers or masters could be overrun. The Maroons in Jamaica. There was a lot of history before they fomented and created this system here. A lot of history they were able to study. Okay, so it didn't just come out of nowhere. And I'm about to break down in this podcast, the founding fathers, because I think it's really instructive that, um, you know, we we pedestalize them. We put them on pedestals as heroes. And many of them were very brilliant. You know, we utilized their quotes and their their very methodical, systematic way that they put this system together. They were geniuses. But many of them were also very evil. And so I'm going to break down who these men were because to have any more conversation about this institution of slavery without talking about the ones that actually were the architects of it makes for an incomplete story, and we shouldn't do that anymore. No more incomplete stories, y'all. All right, so the founding fathers, I'm gonna just rattle off the names because you probably have already heard them before, um, and it's real simple. You know, Of course, there's John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson. Those seven were the key core of the framers of our country, the framers of this constitution. They were known as the core seven. Um, of course, there were many other signatures on that constitution, but these were the men that met in rooms and had the initial discussions about how this country was gonna be governed, what the financial system was gonna be like, how they were gonna divide these 13 colonies, how power was gonna be divided. Very brilliant men, and I'm gonna go over each and every one of them. I talk quite frequently about Benjamin Franklin, at least recently, with you know early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. That is credited to him, as well as discovering electricity and a host of other things. This was a very well-read man. Um, Born in Massachusetts, he was uh, he ran away at the age of 17. And it's interesting, you know, I read his background. He was one of 17 children born to his dad, Josiah Franklin, one of 10 born to his mom, who was Josiah's second wife. Her name was Abaya Folger. Um, he was one of 10. And they, they grew up modestly. You know, he attended school uh, with the clergy, but of course his family didn't have enough money. He went to Boston Latin uh, School, but didn't graduate uh, be because of lack of money. And, uh, but he was a voracious reader. And I, I like that because, you know, I encourage everyone listening to my voice, okay, we're going to break down this book, but I need you to read along with me. So if you haven't gotten the half has never been told, and I get not a dime for this, let me just say, and I shouldn't have to say that because Edward Baptist, we're, we, don't, we don't know each other. We're not, I mean, other than having him on my show a couple of times, we're not friends, but this book was so impactful that I want to talk about it. The way I talk about um, Tom Burrell's Brainwashed. I mean, anything that has an impact on me, I'm going to share with you. So um, Ben Franklin, voracious reader. And he ran away from home uh, to Philadelphia because he wanted a new start. And I can imagine that many children standing out in Massachusetts, which was a you know a burgeoning city, um, um, burgeoning state in our union and our startup union. Um, and I say our because I'm an American. 
And I'm doing this podcast series on this book because I love this country. I love this country enough to demand that she grow into the mature, fair, vibrant, beautiful, powerful country that she was intended to be by these framers. And the only way that's going to happen is if this country and everyone in it recognizes its original sin and works together to eradicate it. Now, we're never going to undo slavery. This is not mortal combat, and none of us is named Jax. But what we can do is acknowledge it and make sure that it's taught properly in our schools, the way German schools teach properly about the rise of Hitler. It's important. It's that important, all right? Uh, maybe more so, because one would argue without this country, there would not, never have been a Hitler, because this country was the founding uh, fathers also of eugenics and this notion of superior races and measuring people's skulls and things like that as if, as if you come from Africa, Every single person listening to my voice is a descendant of Africans. You can't be more superior from the original. It's just impossible. And you're not an evolutionary um, next wave of the evolution. In fact, this book talks about evolution of the enslaved people within a generation. Actually, if anyone has evolved through torture, through pain, through terror, it is the folks that have come here on slave ships and the descendants of them. It's in our DNA. I'll talk about that probably, I don't know, podcast number 20. <laughs> it's that many um, dog-eared pages that I have to get through. But I want to break down the founding fathers really quickly. Ben Franklin, at the age of 17, ran away to Philadelphia, got involved in publishing, uh, created something called the Junto, which was a community of people who wanted to improve themselves, and, and their greatest pastime was reading, so he was a very learned man. Uh, you have, of course, John Adams. John Adams, um, also born, I think he was born in Massachusetts, Braintree. Um, he came from a, a family. His father was a, a pastor, um, and his father expected him to become a pastor, married to his mom, who was part of a, the leading medical family in Brooklyn, Brookline, Ma Massachusetts. Uh, so he came from a, a better family then um of course Benjamin Franklin John Adams went to Harvard he studied under Joseph Mayhew um he graduated with a degree where he was um going to teach an AB degree was going to teach school temporarily his father again wanted him to be a, a, a pastor a minister but he wanted to be a lawyer um so he went into law and he started reading um under the leading lawyer in Worcester Massachusetts and he earned a, another degree in Harvard and um went on to, to practice law. So his great contribution to the framing of this country was the legal part of it, was actual, you know, pinning the, the legal doctrine that became America. Alexander Hamilton, you know, you know from uh, the great Broadway play, those of you who have seen that, um, play out. He actually um, was an influential interpreter and promoter of the Constitution, and he was the founder of the nation's financial system, the Federalist Party also. He helped to foment the financial um, foundation of this nation. And Hamilton is not known to ever have owned human beings, although a member of his family were owners of human beings. Um, and I think he also, because his, his mom, there was uh, rumors that his mother was of mixed race ancestry. Um, but he always identified as being white. And then we start to see the vestiges of this, this notion of whiteness um, and, and how it's playing out in the new world, racialized um, commerce. 
I want to call it that, because uh, he spent a lot of his time in the British West Indies where his mother was from, right? And so um, she was listed as white, but she probably wasn't. And, but what does that mean, right? But we're starting to see in the 1700s and the 1800s, it's starting to mean something, right? Especially in this time. So uh, you have uh, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison. James Madison, he was born um, on a plantation near Portway, Port Conway, Virginia. Um, he probably, he grew up on a plantation, so um, the plantation had enslaved people. Um, and they, they say that he was troubled by the instability of the society that depended on a large enslaved population. And I don't know if it was because of the horrors of that institution that he got to witness because he grew up on a plantation, but, um, but at the Philadelphia convention, cause again, they all met to come together to figure out how to form this more perfect union. He favored an immediate end to the importation of slaves. He didn't want any more slaves to come in. Now, was he altruistic? I don't know. I don't know, we'll probably never know. He was the one that proposed in the United States Senate um, that an allocation of a sum of, from each state, free population and slave population, that there should be some money. Um, and eventually his proposal led to the adoption of the thing called the Three-Fifths Compromise, which brought us our electoral college. And the Three-Fifths Compromise, and you can check that out on the Party of Lincoln app, um, our, our resident historian um, breaks down how uh, each individual enslaved person was counted as three-fifths a person for proportional representation, right? And um, uh, Kenneth C. Davis, uh, don't know much about history and a bunch of other books. He's our resident historian. I just had to put that out there. So each human being who was enslaved was counted as three-fifths for the South to be able to have more representation, right? They got to count their slaves, but only as three-fifths. But that was the brainchild of James Madison, who reportedly didn't want any more importation of slaves, but he didn't want to abolish slavery, though. All right, then there was John Jay. John Jay, um, who was a diplomat, uh, of course, a uh, signator uh, on the Treaty of Paris, the second governor of New York, chief justice of the United States. He directed foreign policy. So he was the person that was going to make, uh, you know, everything cool with the people outside of America. He was born into a very wealthy merchant family, merchants, merchants, okay. And uh, New York City government officials of French and, and Dutch descent he was a lawyer. His mother, Mary Van Cortland, married his dad, Peter J. in 1728. They had 10 children, seven survived. And, and he went on to school uh, in Rye, New York. They lived in New York. Um, they weren't slave owners. They didn't hold any slaves, uh, enslaved people. And he attended what became Columbia University. It was called King's College when he went there. And he, he graduated. Um, he went to college at the age of 14. Those things aren't remarkable because if you had money back then and you were well-read, going to school was expected. And being well-read was expected. Um, he went to um, law school in New York. Right now there's John Jay um, College, which is named after him. Um, and he provided, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of America's founding international um, dip diplomacy. Then, of course, there's George Washington. George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, one of the largest slave owners, enslaved people owners in this country. And actually, Kenneth C. Davis has a great book in the shadows, 
in the Shadow of Liberty, which chronicles the uh, there are a couple of people, human beings that Washington owned. Their stories are told fantastically by Kenneth C. Davis, another great book. I have that one on audio, um, Audible, and it's wonderful to listen to because it's wonderfully narrated. But I don't need to talk about George Washington. <laughs> That's a whole, we could, I could probably do a whole podcast on him. Complicated person, not all that he was cracked up to be, and not this wonderful, honest gentleman. Um, literally took teeth from human beings to form his dentures. They weren't made out of wood. They were made out of human uh, enslaved people's mouths who had beautiful teeth, by the way, because even to this day, Africans have beautiful teeth. Anyway, I digress. And of course, I saved the best for last, Thomas Jefferson. Very complicated man. Um, and we know about his sl- slaveholding and Sally Hemings was not a love story. It was rape of a young girl who, for whom he uh, also had children, and, uh, but also very brilliant. He was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence. Um, he was, of course, um, just a brilliant organizer, um, understood government, and I and I and I bring this up because these seven men sat in a room together: Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, James Madison, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, to come up with what this country would be. And among them were people who both were raised on plantations and who owned people. To have a discussion about slavery and not talk about its founding principles and the people who formed this more perfect union not having a direct relationship to that and their struggles with how do we build a nation. Now, I'm sure I don't know what that conversation looked like, but we have these people here who um, I know that I'm wealthy, George Washington, as I'm doing, I know that I'm wealthy because I have more than 300 enslaved people and my, my plantation is over, it's just overabundant. And Jefferson said, mine too, Monticello, and I get to go to Paris, and it's, these people have made it possible for me to not have to lift, lift a finger, and I can have great wealth. Now, what if we magnified this? And then maybe, you know, Hamilton or somebody, wait a minute, uh, what about, you know, what about these, maybe we should have a compromise, some people, should, you know, but this is the first 13 colonies, you know, um, all of them had enslaved people. New York has a an African burial ground that was unearthed in the 1990s, I want to say, and little skulls. And I mean, the, the stories told through the bones in that burial ground were horrific, chilling, and very telling about the founding of this country. We cannot have a discussion about America without talking about the framers and without talking about slavery. And anybody attempting to do that is obfuscating truth. And we're not doing that. So I'm challenging all of you, first of all, get this book, The Half Has Never Been Told. We're going to go on a journey together, breaking it down. But I challenge you to really study. I just gave you a brief overview of the founding fathers, but really study how this country started. Because all of us in our lives, in many ways, are founding mothers and fathers of our own futures, of our own legacies, right? And many of us need to start to think about what does that look like? What is our our principal constitution going to be? And I demand that we write what we stand for, what our mission is in our lives, because these men did that. And we're all living it out on some way, shape or form in this country and in the United States. But what if, you know, what would that look, and and to be able to do that also put you in a mindset of maybe how they came to be, you know, what, what kind of currency is going to drive your life? You know, how are you going to manage your money? How are you going to make more money? 
And, and the challenge, from, not for me, it's not a challenge at all to be humane. But I think the challenge for some people is to figure out how I'm going to make money with, without lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, without cajoling people to do, do work for me, without, without being lazy, without expecting other people to do, you know, while I sit back and watch. You know, this country was built on the backs of people by force by a group of people who were too damn lazy to do it themselves. I'm just going to say it. But some would say they were so clever. They were so clever. They got, they got those poor Native Americans to sell them Manhattan for next to nothing. They, they, got, they, they, they got those poor Native Americans to give up their land. No, you, they murdered them in genocide. Well, they were stronger. They were stronger. No, they were evil. They were evil and brutal, manip manipulative, and lazy. And that can't be the future narrative of this country, but we got to tell that story because each and every one of us will be responsible for writing the next chapter. So I'm here for it. I hope you enjoyed this um, discourse and I look forward to talking about more of this. The half has never been told as part of a series that I'm going to be breaking down this book. Actually, I'm only on page, uh, what is this, page two? I can't just be on page two. Yeah, I'm on page three. <laughs> I'm on page three of a 483 page book with maybe a hundred and something more um, notes to go through. All right. Hope you stay with me until next time. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Talk to you soon.